Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and more. Go ahead and check out the description of this episode so you can find the link to our link tree, get access to all of our socials, as well as our YouTube channel so you can watch all of our episodes in full. Okay, welcome. Saturday, December 16th. Chip Brown going to be on. Uh, Horns 24-7 and a contributor to uh, Texas Football Network as well. Going to talk all things Longhorns with him leading up to the New Year's game coming up, the Sugar Bowl game against Washington. Break down their season so far, uh, turnaround season, coming back, you know, getting that last third, or not last, but the third spot into the playoffs and their matchup with Washington ahead. All things getting into that with him, all things Longhorns. Awesome interview. Let's touch base on NFL, though, guys, first, like we always do uh, on our Saturday show, previewing the NFL games coming up, um, you know, week 15 here. Let's start with Thursday Night Football, though, breaking down the absolute absolute manhandling of the Chargers. Brandon Staley finally getting fired after his pitfall performance he had against the Raiders. Uh, Aiden O'Connell looked like Tom Brady out there, looked like an, looked like an absolute all-star. The whole team looked absolutely dominant. Four turnovers, all you know, four four intercept or turnovers, and then obviously uh, defense itself had two two touchdowns itself, and it was just an absolute field day on both sides of the ball. And like I said, GM and head coach Brandon Staley are officially out of uh, uh, not San Diego, LA now. So, what was your overall takes from this game? And just, I mean, was are you guys kind of upset Brandon Staley wasn't fired sooner? Because you could almost argue maybe the season could have been saved if Brandon Staley would have been fired sooner. And I want to get your thoughts on this second. Yeah, I don't know if upset's the right word because I don't think this is getting saved whether Brandon Staley was fired or not. But you knew after yesterday it was inevitable. They gave up 42 points before they even crossed midfield. That is one of the worst efforts that you've ever seen from a team in a long, long time. They just quit from the moment that they were on that field and they never had a chance. Aiden O'Connell was terrific. The Raiders played great. But this is a team that scored three points or did not score against the Vikings. They only gave up three, but yeah. they didn't score themselves. You talked about a heck of a turnaround in four days. This is a Charger team that has squandered talent more than any franchise, I think, in the last 20 years or so. And this is just another added example of that. Brandon Staley, there was no way that he could continue to coach after yesterday. You know, We thought maybe it would happen at the end of the season, but the way that last night went, they could not – do it for the last three games so yeah. no surprise at all yeah what i was trying to say is four fumble recoveries yeah. for the defense uh for the raiders and then two touchdowns like i said right. off defense as well pick six and a fumble recovery offense was clicking as well for the raiders uh even without josh jacobs i mean samir white brandon bolden they played really well balled out all game aiden o'connell like i said they the defense for the chargers made aiden o'connell even look like an all-star four uh four touchdowns in the first half Two to rookie without uh two to rookie ride out wide out excuse me Trey Tucker uh tight end Michael Mayer and veteran white out Jacoby Myers as well the whole team uh a whole team affair last night both on offense and defense and Brandon Staley is out now officially for the Chargers happened way way too too late in my in my opinion I did see I was at the gym no sound on I did see a question come up on ESPN and I kind of want to ask you guys this question too given the history of the Chargers uh you know being that perfectly perfectly 500 team very very bad losses really hurtful losses tough losses throughout the years do you think 
this head coaching vacancy is something that's intriguing to people? Do you think it's something that coaches would want to go after, or do you think it's something? I think it's interesting because of Justin Herbert, and they have a pretty good roster too, but at the end of the day, with Staley's firing, the season could have been saved if they were 0-3. Better if they were 5-9 and or 5-8, and whatever they are now. But um, the Chargers should have fired him early. If they lost that game to the Vikings, there would have been a blessing in disguise for them to fire uh, Brandon Staley and bring in whoever the interim coach is going to be. I believe it's going to be Kellen Moore. And, um, yeah, I think the Chargers, they their season could have been saved. And I do think this is a attractive job. It's in Los Angeles. Uh, it's the Chargers. and um, But <clears throat> the history of the team is doesn't say that much but what does say is the talent on this team and the roster and they're gonna have to go hire a new general manager as uh tom telesco was uh was also fired mm-hmm. yeah and we'll see what happens but season over for the chargers right now it was over for a long time the way this team was playing they should have fired him i mean we, we've been saying it already uh this whole year, I mean, they should have fired him after last year's loss against the Jaguars when they ultimately got, you know, sent packing home. But yeah, uh, chart, I mean, just absolute domination, highest point scored in Raiders history. I think we all know that. We all have seen that enough at this point today. And the Raiders, like I said, both sides of the ball, defense and offense, uh, just completely dominated. I want to get your thoughts on the coaching job, the vacancy at the Raiders. Do you think the Raiders might have found their coach for next year? Zach, what do you think on that? Do you think the Raiders may have? uh, I I don't think they will. I remember Rich Passaccia took the job back in 21 after John Gruden got fired, and he did a better job and got them to the playoffs, actually, and then they didn't end up ultimately hiring Rich Passaccia, which maybe they should have. I think they'll consider Antonio Pierce, but my guess is that they will go elsewhere because there's just so many attractive names out there like Bill Belichick or Jim Harbaugh. You know, there's a lot of great coaches out on the market, and I'm sure Mark Davis this time doesn't want to settle for anything less than a star coach. So I, I think he'll consider Antonio Pierce, but I would be surprised if he got the job. If they have a couple more wins, though, uh, you know, if they have a couple more yeah. wins like this where they they dominate on both sides of the ball, they absolutely could consider that. And if, if nothing else, he could go somewhere else. He might not be the Raiders, but he could maybe go somewhere else. There'll be a lot of head, uh, head coaching vacancies next year. <laughs> a lot, actually. Week thirteen, or uh, week fifteen, excuse me. Closest game, Zach. We'll preview it. Start with you. Start with you. What is your closest game you see? Uh, closest game, weekend? I think, is going to be the Steelers and the Colts. I think these are two teams that are very evenly matched. Two teams playing with backup quarterbacks. Two solid defenses, and this feels like a game that determines one of them is going to make the playoffs or potentially have a chance to make the playoffs, and the loser is all but eliminated from playoff contention because it's just going to be an uphill climb for these two teams. You talk about you know Gardner Minshew versus Mitch Trubisky, maybe not the most attractive quarterback matchup, but these defenses have been very good throughout the season. The Colts have not beaten the Steelers at any capacity since 2008, and it kind of feels like they're due to finally win one of those games. But this has 20-17 to 17 written all over it, one of the three triple-header games on Saturday. A very good lineup, by the way, with the Bengals and the Vikings. you got Steelers-Colts and then Lions-Broncos. It, very good trio of games on Saturday. I think Steelers-Colts will be the closest game of the weekend. Yeah. Yeah, it playoff potential too. I mean, the 
their chances for making the playoffs with a win on both sides, both Colts and the Steelers, is still. I mean, it's basically out of play if they lose. It go, it drops like fifteen, you know, ten, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty percent, something like that right. for each team if they lose. But if they if they win, they stay like you know above you know sixty percent chance of making it, so or something like that. So yeah, huge playoff contentions, which also <laughs> tends to make yep. close games as well. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Cowboys and Bills. Bills need a win. Seven and six right now. If they want to make the playoffs, they need at least nine wins, uh, most likely ten, to to feel safe, to feel comfortable. Uh, that means beating the Cowboys this week, of course. The Cowboys, though, playing absolutely amazing since 2021. Dan Quinn in the Dallas defense has led the league in takeaways, and since 2021, Josh Allen has led the league in interceptions. So that's going to be something that they need to, you know, cover up and take uh, take care of majorly against this Dallas uh, Dallas defense against the, especially against that uh, secondary that Dallas has Dallas offense has been playing at an elite level uh, Prescott number one ranked Cowboys offense 32.4 points per game looks to keep the momentum alive as well they don't uh, they don't show any signs of slowing down anyhow uh, Diggs he's going to need to be a difference maker for the Bills uh, it's imperative for Diggs to get open uh, you know he's been kind of shut down recently but uh, for, them have, for them to have a chance, uh, you know, the, Allen's going to have to find digs open a couple of times. And, uh, yeah, so they're, they're going to see what happens. But it's going to be a close game because offense rolling for the Cowboys and Bills desperately need a win. Justin, what is your closest game this week? A lot of options to choose from, but I'm going to go Lions and Broncos on Saturday. <clears throat> so I think the Broncos could have a chance here at the AFC Wild Card. The Lions obviously in first place in the NFC North. I think this is going to be a close game because the Lions have been playing teams very close. They've also lost two out of the last four games, and I think the Broncos put up a fight here, and I think both teams are going to going to be a very – it's going to be a very close game. Most intriguing storyline? Zach, what is a tre- intriguing storyline? Yeah, I'm going back to the Cowboys-Bills game because I want to see Dallas do it on the road. They've been dominant at home this year. They've won all but one home game by 20 or more points, including a dominant performance against the Eagles last week. But this team's only 3-3 three and three on the road without really a signature win. So I want to see if they can carry this momentum that they gained from last week up to Buffalo against a desperate Bills team. We talked about last week. They had to have that game. They got it, and now – you're in a position where you either have to win this game or the Dolphins game in all likelihood because my guess is they're going to beat the Chargers and the Patriots. If they get to 10 wins, they're going to be in the playoffs. But if they win this game, you're talking about back-to-back weeks, you're beating Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, and then you're beating Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. Nobody in the AFC is going to want to play the Bills in the playoffs. And this this feels like a game that if Buffalo gets, I think they get into the playoffs. And if the Cowboys win this game, they need this to stay on pace with the 49ers for the number one seed in the NFC and, you know, with the Eagles' schedule getting significantly easier, even though the Cowboys are tied with them right now, that's going to be – it's going to be difficult for them to overcome the Eagles' mm-hmm. easy finish to the regular season where every game just means so much. So uh, a lot of playoff implications on both sides. I think this is easily the most intriguing storyline. Yeah, only away games. They've won all year. Uh, Dallas was Giants. First game of the year, the Giants. Chargers. And then uh, yeah. Panthers. So I mean, that's the that's their only away wins in against. I mean, all very bad teams. Maybe the three worst teams in the yeah, no, the three, one of the three bad. worst teams in the league. They're not good. Yeah, pretty, I mean, they're not that bad. No, at least I mean, bottom bottom yeah. ten for sure. At least if not if not close to sniffing the bottom five, uh, the way they've been playing lately, of course. 
uh, my most intriguing storyline, can uh, DeVito keep it going? Uh, Tom DeVito has been an awesome story for the Giants. Uh, hilarious story. Uh, just a character the NFL always wants to have on the sidelines, but not in the sidelines anymore. He's playing and playing uh, very well. Throwing for just under 600 yards, five touchdowns, and zero interceptions over his last three wins. Of course, those all being wins against Commanders, Patriots, and Packers. Uh, not the best teams, so I do want to see him continue to keep up the momentum, see what he can continue doing. Uh, the defense has come alive as well for the Giants, forcing 12 turnovers. We're only allowing 16 points per game in that span. I, I know I talked about it on uh, Tuesday's show a little bit. The um, Giants defense is a little underrated, uh, especially with how they played this past weekend. Uh, still, you know, NFC East, obviously out of the question, not going to win the NFC East. Cowboys and Eagles will win that. One of those teams will win that, both at 10, 10 and 3, those two teams. But making an NFC uh, wild card spot, not completely out of the picture. Um, I mean, they have to win, obviously, this weekend, but and they have to probably win at least nine games. That's probably what's going to take in the NFC, at least nine intend to be comfortable same with the AFC but it's not completely out of the picture so I want to see how far Tom DeVito can take this team and he's been one of the best stories and most interesting stories so far in the NFL and I want to keep I want to keep it going so that's my most intriguing storyline can he keep it up Justin what is your most intriguing storyline this weekend my most intriguing storyline is the Jaguars and Ravens See if the Jaguars can respond after the last two losses. Trevor Lawrence being healthy, thank goodness for them. And uh, they got the Ravens coming in to Jacksonville. And for the Ravens, too, I mean, are they going to keep up their success in the AFC as the number one seed? The Sunday night game is a big game, and it's pretty much flying under the radar, I'd say. But this that might be one of the big yeah, games of the week right. here. Uh Zach, what is your uh, surprise? Surprise of the week. I'm going with the Giants to go on the road to New Orleans and knock off the Saints. The Saints' momentum has just not been there. Uh, Derek Carr had 37 passing yards going into the fourth quarter last week against one of the worst teams in football in the Panthers. And at the Saints, I know they're in first place, but that's because it's in the NFC South. The Giants have all sorts of momentum right now. Tommy DeVito's been playing fantastic as of late, and the Saints really struggle to stop the run. I think the Giants go down there, take care of business, and knock off the Saints. I'm going to go with Bears over Browns. Bears, really not a bad team, especially on defense. Um, um, first time since 2021, the Bears have had back-to-back wins. Uh, of course, uh, beating the, um, of course, with the last two wins with beating Seattle and the Giants. Um, yeah, they've turned a, they've turned a corner for sure, uh, winning three of the last four games. And the Browns are in a uh, the Browns are obviously on their fourth QB, with that being Flacco, of course. Justin Fields playing consistent. He went 19 for 33, 223 yards, and a touchdown last week against Detroit. Uh, he was also Chicago's leading rusher with 12 carries and 58 yards and a score on the ground. So Justin Fields playing really, really well. I don't think the Bears are going to be getting a quarterback this draft. Uh, I think they're going to stick with Justin Fields because – Coming back from that injury, that hand injury, he's been playing absolutely amazing and showing that he might be the guy in Chicago, and I want to see him keep it up. I think he will keep it up against the Browns. The Browns defense, obviously, of course, we all know um, they've been absolutely a wrecking ball. Miles Garrett has been dealing with a shoulder injury, though, so it's still unknown if he will play, but obviously him playing will be a major factor in my hopes for the Bears coming away with the victory. Um, Bears have the lo- second lowest sack total in the NFL at 21. Uh, but they've been getting to the quarterback in recent weeks. 
a lot of that credit has been to the change in Ed Rusher Montez Sweat. Of course, when he came in to Chicago, he has three and a half sacks in five games since being acquired from Washington at the trade deadline. Um, yeah, and Chicago in general has 11 sacks. So Montez Sweat making a big difference for the Bears. And like I said, the Bears defense in general, uh, keeping them in games and not only just keeping them in games, uh, winning them games too. And they've been looking really impressive as of late. So that's my gonna that's going to be my uh, surprise of the week. The Bears taking over the Browns and going on that uh, three-game win streak now. First time that would be since 2020 the Bears have gone on a three-game win streak. Uh, Justin, what is your surprise of the week? I'm going to go back to the de- to Detroit. I got the Broncos over the Lions as my upset of the week. I think this the Lions have not been playing the best football, as I just said, for the last four games. And I know they're going to be at home, but the Broncos are – playing for a playoff spot as well. And I think the Lions are going to lose this game. All right. I think I said the Bears Brown. beat the, the Giants. Uh, two games. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, no, I said I think they're on a two-game win streak. I think I said they beat the, the Lions and the Giants. I met the Vikings and the in the Lions. Um, what uh, what do we got? Shootout of the week. Jack, what is a shootout I'm going with Ravens-Jaguars. I think you look at Jacksonville, they're bottom five in every defensive statistic as far as passing defense, and I think this is going to be a big game for Lamar Jackson, but I also think it's going to be a big game for Trevor Lawrence. It's a Jaguars team that put up 27 against one of the best defenses in football last week in the Browns. Ravens are very good at getting after the quarterback, but I think the Jaguars will be able to balance that out with the running game, and I think Trevor Lawrence will have a good day throwing the ball against that secondary. Last week, the Ravens gave up 31 against the Rams. I think you could see something similar here. And I think ultimately Lamar Jackson, Odell Beckham, Zay Flowers, that offense is getting into a rhythm right now. Lamar has turned into a pocket passer. So I think Ravens-Jaguars is the shootout of the week. That's going to be a really good game. Um, my shootout of the week, Justin, I'm going to go back to what you just said, Broncos-Lions. Uh, Broncos on a tear. Six of seven last uh, – one, one six of seven last games – Lions have lost um, two of their three. Lions desperately want a bounce back win to keep their playoff hopes alive. Uh, well, they'll, they'll make the playoffs, but they want to definitely be having better momentum going into the playoffs than they've had, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Offensive coordinator Ben Johnson uh, wants golf to be passing into more tight windows. That's a game plan that he wants coming up this weekend. I don't know how good that is, especially with golf having pretty bad turnover luck lately. Uh, five interceptions. Three fumbles over the last four games, uh, leading to two losses, of course. And, yeah, I, I don't know if uh, wanting Goff to be throwing in the tight windows is how that's going to work out for him, but we'll have to see. Running game likely to remain a factor. Uh, Gibbs and Montgomery have been dominant as backfield doers and will remain a factor against the Broncos squad, struggling against the run. Uh, Broncos really have a really hard time stopping the run, and Gibbs and Montgomery have been playing well all season long for the Lions. Uh, but the Lions' defensive issues, I think the Broncos are going to have a field day with their defense. Since, since week 10, the Lions have allowed opposing offenses to convert 54.2% of their third downs, and that's the fourth worst mark over that stretch. They're, for, they're forcing fewer turnovers over that same stretch uh, with only 0.8 per game versus 0.125 uh, in the last in nine games before that. So, yeah, Lions definitely on the downturn on their defense goes. Can't, you know, can't. Uh, forced turnovers offenses are converting on third down they can't stop offenses offensive staying on the field way too long defense getting tired golf turning the ball over but i do think their offense still is explosive but i do think the broncos are going to eat on the 
uh, Lions defense as well. And it's going to be, it could be an ugly game for the Lions again, especially with the Broncos having a resurgence second half of the year and really wanting to uh, make that playoff. So we'll see what happens. Zach, what is, uh, uh, Justin, what is your shootout of the week? Sorry. I'll go Bills Cowboys. I think that's going to be not just a close game, but I think there's going to be a lot of points scored between those two teams. And for the Cowboys and Bills, pretty good offense is going at it in Buffalo. I don't know. I, I could see the Cowboys losing this game, being on the road, being in the conditions that they're in. I think this is going to be a higher scoring game than a lot of people expect. Yeah. Snoozer, opposite end of the spectrum. Zach, what are Falcons, you Panthers. Are Panthers are 1-12. The Falcons mm-hmm. have been uninspiring. I mean, what's there to really talk about about this game? It's uh, got boring written all over it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, my, um, that's my snoozer. Yeah, same too. here. Might be Falcons, yours as well. Panthers. Justin, uh, despite the addition, <laughs> yeah, Bryce Young hasn't been getting it done. I think he'll be back next year, but this year has been a dumpster fire for him. Uh, Carolina ranks near the bottom of nearly every offensive category statistical category and has failed to score 20 points in each of its last seven games uh young can't face pressure i mean he gets absolutely dominated by any type of pressure at all offensive line is an absolute mess uh, he has yet to throw for 250 yards in a game this year uh other side of the other side of the coin uh Atlanta's qb he can't get any better ritter started eight games and then was benched for two before being reinstated for the reason he has nine, uh, yeah, I mean, nine touchdown passes with nine interceptions, the same numbers as Young going into this game as well. So it's both uh, both offenses, both QBs can't get it done, dumpster fires. And uh, despite the fact that Atlanta still might make the playoffs, um, this is going to be a yeah, pretty bad game, all things considered. What, what do you, do you want to add anything to this? Not Justin? much to talk about, no. Much to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Chiefs are going to bounce back. They're not losing three in a row, and they're playing the Patriots, who are wounded offensively. I know Bailey Zappi looked good last week. It's not going to happen back-to-back. Uh, the Chiefs are not losing three in a row. Patrick Mahomes is going to have a big day, and Kansas City is going to go up there and uh, take care of business. I'm going to go Bengals over Vikings. Uh, Jake Browning been playing amazing. We've already said that at length this show. Uh, there will be a change in Minnesota, a QB change. Nick Mullins is set to start Saturday. Uh, relieving Josh Dobbs and helping lead the Vikings to that three over three nothing victory over Las Vegas last week. Um, Josh Dobbs, of course, clearly did not get it done. And uh, Nick Mullins will get the start now coming off the win last week, the narrow win. Defense in Cincinnati has been bet has been a lot better than it was start of the year, too. Uh, still among the worst in the league, but has been much improved over the past few weeks, especially at stopping the run. The Jaguars only had 71 rushing yards against Cincinnati, and the Colts were held to just 46 last week as well. Um, both averaged fewer than three yards per carry, so both uh, Cincinnati and Colts would not get anything done on the run game, and that's a big part of Minnesota's game as well. So that's going to be a big factor for Minnesota to get over. And uh, Cincinnati, uh, yeah, I think it's been playing um, pretty well in defense overall, and Jake Browning is has been playing. He's, he's going to get it. I think he might... Uh, get himself a starting job next year, not at the Bengals, maybe somewhere else, but the way he's been playing, if he keeps it up, he's definitely going to leave the Bengals to more wins. And like I said, maybe, maybe even get a starting job next year. Uh, Justin, what is your favorite of the week? I'm actually going to go with the Packers over the Bucks at home. I think the Packers bounce back 
And I'd expect the Packers here to make a push for the wild card in the NFC. The Bucks still at six and seven. Both both teams are six and seven, but I think the home team wins, and I'm gonna go Packers as my lock of the week. Okay. Let's move on. Writers, uh, and, um, writers block. Zach, what is your writers block? Writers block of the week is going to be people linking Bill Belichick to the Chargers, which I've talked about before. I think this would actually be a good destination for him to go because the Chargers have a ready to make, ready made to win right now roster. You've got a veteran quarterback in Justin Herbert, and you've got talent around Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler. That's a franchise that is begging for a veteran head coach. And if they can get Bill Belichick to somehow go out to Los Angeles, which culturally I don't know how that's going to fit, but if they get him, the Chargers become a very dangerous team just like that. Yeah, I'm going to go with a report um, that I saw on ESPN. Basically, the uh, Angels front office basically saying that life will just go on without Shohei Otani. No, life will be very hard without Shohei Otani. He was the entire offense with Mike Trout, of course, last year. Uh, uh, Angels have been very disappointing uh, for the last four years, really, four or five years. Now that even was with Otani there, and they're going to be even more disappointing now. So just acting like things are just going to continue on as normal without Shohei Otani is absolutely false. They're going to struggle even more than they have in the past, especially losing him as a pitcher as well. uh, Angels are going to have a really hard time next year might not even make the playoffs despite them having the expectations to make the playoffs every year. Uh, they're not going to make it this year, most likely. And yeah, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a rough year in Anaheim and trout. I feel bad for trout being all by himself. Great talent. No one really around him, no really help around him. And it's going to be another year where trout might not go probably. Well, most likely will not go far. Uh, may not even sniff the playoffs. So it's going to be a tough year for, for angels. Mm-hmm. Justin, do you have a uh, writer's block this week? All right. I do want to touch base on um, some NBA news that time of the year where, uh, you know, fourth way through the season, NBA news is getting a little bit more noticeable, a little bit more uh, important as we get closer to that half of the year mark, trade deadline, uh, all-star season, things like that. First thing they get into, of course, Draymond Green getting suspended uh, third ejection this year and of course the rolling did come out Draymond Green is going to be suspended indefinitely of of course this is after Tuesday's uh game against the Sun when he basically sucker punched Nurchik um you know on the Suns and basically almost knocked him out cold it looked like for a second NBA cited Green's history repeated history of unsportsmanlike acts and the executive vice president head of basketball operations Joe Dumars uh, declined to give a number of games that Green will be suspended for because they will implement a system to basically make him go through like a rehabilitation process and get him better and control his anger. And they quote that they don't know how long this process is going right. to take. But the real answer, they just don't actually know because they just haven't ironed, ironed out that details yet. What do you think about, I mean, just in general, I mean, Warriors have to be sick of Green's antics at this point. You looked at when he punched Nurchik on Tuesday night, the bench, did he did it right in front of the Warriors bench. They barely even reacted from it. Post-game news conference, no one really defended his actions. They seem to be kind of sick of it. Um, like I said, no timetable at this point for Green's returnability. And uh, this is, again, like I said, repeat myself, third ejection this season. What are your overall thoughts on this? I mean, it has, it's getting old at this point. I mean, I love him being a competitor, but 
even someone, you know, any NBA fan that loves him and loves the, his competitive nature, it has to be getting old. No, this had point. to happen. Uh, he, for, needs you know, a, he needs a message. Yeah. He needs to figure out, like, you cannot just be out sucker punching people. This has been a problem for six, seven, eight years now. This isn't something that's just happened this season. The NBA really had no choice here. They had to suspend Draymond indefinitely because he's got to get some help. You cannot continue to put your team in a bad situation. You can't continue to punch guys. Just out of nowhere, I get that you're frustrated yep. about certain things, but he's had a long leash for a really long time, and now the NBA finally has decided that enough's enough, and it should have happened probably a couple of years ago, and good on Adam Silver for making it happen now. It's not going to affect the Warriors too much. I think the Warriors are in, like, 10th place right now. They're, they're having yeah, their numbers are basically year. the same whether he um, plays or not. True. Yeah, true. Some numbers. Uh, Green will be losing – over 150,000 per game uh, if his suspension is fewer than 20 games. But if it goes over than 20 games, he'll lose over $200,000 per game. And if Green's suspension lasts for six games or longer, he can be transferred from Golden State list of active players to a suspended list. This would, of course, allow the Warriors to bring in somebody uh, else to fill in that 14th spot that would be open with Green's uh, put on that disabled list or suspended list, excuse me. So, yeah. All murky, ugly, and yeah, it needed to be happen. It needed to happen, Zach, like you said, because this is a, as they quote the NBA, repeated history of unsportsmanlike acts. Okay, moving on. Awesome interview. Chip Brown, reporter, writer for Horns 24-7 and on the radio, YouTube, check out their page, texassportsunfiltered.com. Uh, on the air, 1 to 3 Central Time. All things Longhorns coverage. Going to talk all things football with him. Season they've had so far. And then, of course, leading up to the Sugar Bowl with their matchup with Washington. Great, great interview with him. So without further ado, let's head south and talk to Chip in Texas. Okay, heading south. Bringing on Chip Brown, a uh, reporter for Longhorns247.com, uh, writer for uh, Longhorns247.com, or excuse me, Horns247.com. I, I thought I got that wrong. And then uh, on the radio, on the YouTube, uh, 1 to 3 on Texas Sports Unfiltered, uh, 1 to 3 Central Time. Is that right? Uh, yes, yes, sir. All right, Chip. Well, had to have you on. Excited to talk to you. Texas, the Longhorns, obviously in the playoffs coming up in about you know, eh, end of the year, about like three weeks from now. Facing off against Washington, uh, rematch from last year's Alamo Bowl, Alamo Bowl, excuse me, when Texas did win twenty-seven to twenty. Um, Washington has won four of their last, you know, the last four games. Washington has won by one score in the last seven of the nine games. Washington has also won by one score, and now the Texans open up with minus four favorites. Before we get into that game, though, Chip, I want to break down just the journey that the Longhorns had to get to this point so far. Obviously, we're outside looking in for majority of the season, and then the last final rankings, they did find themselves in that three seed. What do they have to do the last, you know, three, four weeks of the season to ensure that spot in the playoffs? You know, who had to lose in front of them? What did they have to do? Obviously had a great last two weeks of the season, put up 47 against Texas Tech, 49 against Oklahoma State in the Big 12 playoff game. But what else did that team really have to do to kind of ensure their spot in the playoffs heading into the end of the year here? Well, they had to look like a, a 12 and one conference champion and not not something that was leaking oil and sputtering and coughing across the finish line. And, you know, obviously, Quinn Ewers, their their uh, star quarterback, 
uh, is playing with an AC joint sprain in his throwing shoulder. It's kind of kind of gone under the radar, but he missed games against BYU and Kansas State. They had to play their backup quarterback, Malik Murphy, and it was tough. You know, those games were, they came down to the wire. Well, actually the BYU game did not, but the, the Kansas State game came down to, you know, the K-State's decision to go for it uh, in overtime. And instead of kicking a field goal to extend the game, um, Texas stopped them, game over. And then against TCU, they were up 26 to six and cruising. They kind of, you know, started to play some softer coverage. TCU got hot. And next thing you know, Texas is converting third and 12 to hang on to a 29-26 victory. So at that point, things were not looking good. But in their back pocket, they had that win at Alabama, 34-24 back on September 9th um, in Tuscaloosa. And that was a hard committee, hard college football playoff committee to read. But they, the one thing they did um, was to, you know, they honored that head-to-head victory, the committee. And 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 by gosh, they did it at the end. And mm-hmm. um, and look, it's unfortunate that Florida State had its starting quarterback go down, that they were playing with their third string quarterback in the ACC championship game. But I think the committee had to make the hard decision. They were going to anger somebody, yeah, but their their charge was to put the four best teams in in the way that Texas finished against Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. They looked like the complete team that beat Alabama. Uh, back in September. Yeah. And so obviously for Texas fans, they're ecstatic. It's their first college football playoff berth. Um, and how crazy that they're going to play Washington. This would be, this is, so there were five teams that beat Texas last year. Texas has avenged the first four, and now they get a chance to avenge their fifth loss from last year against the Washington Huskies, as you mentioned, Washington beat Texas 27-20 in the Alamo Bowl. And and so Texas knows what it's up against in Michael Penix Jr. and Roma Dunze and Jalen Polk at receiver and Jalen McMillan. So um, it's it's a tough matchup for Texas because if you're going to pick a knit with Texas, it's been their past defense. And I mean, Texas has just stuffed mm-hmm. the run this year, but Washington doesn't care. I mean, they've right. got a thousand yard rusher. Yeah. Um, you know, but they, Dylan Johnson, but they, they like to throw it. So this actually plays, um, you know, to, to Washington's favor. And Texas has got 15 bowl practices to get their past defense cleaned up. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Alamo Bowl last year. I think I might have said Texas won that game 27-20, but thanks for correcting me. I meant to say Washington won that game 27-20. Rematch from last year. It's going to be a uh, Matt, it's going to be a very high-scoring game for sure. Both offenses are coming in act, absolutely explosive right now. Uh, Washington finished up their season with high explosive offense as well. And I already mentioned how Texas, and you mentioned as well, how Texas finished the season as well. 64 point over under currently in Vegas. I think that game has a very big, has a definite potential to reach that number and beyond. Going back to what you said earlier, though, about how the committee looked at their win in Alabama, in Tuscaloosa, and you said they had a hard time kind of reading that. And I want to get your thoughts on why that is. Was it because Alabama 
was struggling early in the season and Alabama's not the same team they are now? Is that kind of why they were having a hard time looking at that game and reading that game? Well, I think the committee was hard to read, but the one thing, and I'm I, let me clarify, the committee was hard to read because they had Oregon ahead of Texas and Washington, or excuse me, ahead of Texas and Alabama from the beginning of their rankings. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like the committee just believed that Oregon was going to beat Washington in the rematch and they were, were ranking them as such. Oregon had no business being ahead of Texas and Alabama based on wins, number of ranked wins, um, impressive wins. But in the end, the committee did honor that head-to-head victory, um, Texas over Alabama at Tuscaloosa at night. And, and so you know, head-to-head matters. It doesn't matter when it happened. It matters, especially when you go and win by 10 on uh, on Alabama's field at Bryant-Denny Stadium. And um, Alabama was 52-1 and against opponents at home in the stretch leading up to that Texas win. So uh, that win is what got Texas into the college football playoff. There's no doubt about it. Are we Were we concerned when they lost to Oklahoma? I don't want to state an obvious, but... Um, you know, just Texas and the Big 12 maybe not being as explosive as it used to be, especially on defense. Were we concerned when when they did lose to Oklahoma that maybe their playoff bids would have been um, over? Yeah, I mean, it's out of your hands at that point. You're mm-hmm. you're suddenly out of destiny control. And that uh, and kudos to Steve Sarkeesian. He told the team, OK, every game we have from here on out is a Big 12 championship game. If you want to get to Arlington to play for the Big 12 title. Every single game is a Big 12 championship. And the players, uh, I think, repeated that mantra and then lived up to that mantra. And and so this was a team that had trouble finishing. Um, midway through last year, they were one in six in yep. true road games under Steve Sarkeesian. Now they've won seven in a row in true road games. So it's a different team. It's a veteran team. They have experienced leadership at every position group. They they believe they're going to win. They've finally learned how to win. Um, and that can be hard for a program that's been up and down and all around and kind of wandering out in the desert for the last uh, 15 years. And, and so this is a team that believes. And it's funny because they came into the year, Steve Sarkeesian said at Big 12 Football Media Days, uh, this team has taken on a John Wick mentality. And it was, and he said, we we're we've got the biggest target on our back. We're, we're leaving the big 12. Everyone wants to get a piece of us before we leave, but we, we can fight back. You know, John wick, I don't know how many people have watched those movies, but he's a retired hitman who basically comes out of hiding because, you know, he's seeking revenge. Mm-hmm. So he's got all these people trying to kill him. He's trying to kill people. And, and, uh, and so the, you know, the mindset was we need to be on the attack. We need to be the hunter, even though we're being hunted. And, and Steve Sarkeesian said before the season, we want to win the last big 12 title Yep. before we head off to the sec and they were able to do it. Let me ask you this question. Um, how crucial is it going to be for Steve Sarkeesian to uh, have a whole month to prepare for this game? Something he's not used to really having, right? Over the last couple of years, his bowl games were a lot sooner than, uh, you know, the end of the year. So 
how big is it going to be for Steve Sarkeesian to have a whole month to plan? I mean, he's known to be a great play caller. He comes up with really crafty plays and crafty game plans. So uh, compared to like Kellen DeBoer on Washington's side, how massive and how much of an X factor is that really going to be for Sarkeesian to have a whole month to prepare? Yeah, I mean, I think Steve Sarkeesian um, has shown when he has time to prepare that he can come up with some serious game plans. Um, you know, Kalen DeBoer, however, is the guy who's rolling. I mean, mm -hmm. and he, they run a lot of similar offense, which I find interesting. They're both really good with the screen game, Kalen DeBoer and Steve Sarkeesian. They both like to take deep shots. And, um, and so I think this is going to be a really interesting matchup for, for, for Texas. Um, it's really about their defense and using this month and these 15 bowl practices to get their defense to play with confidence because even in the big 12 title game, they got beat deep a couple of times. Now they didn't give up a ton of points, um, but and their red zone defense is outstanding. It's the best in the country. And, and so, you know, if you don't score from outside the 20, it gets tough when you're going up against Texas because they do a really good job, but um, Washington is a big strike, deep strike offense. So I think this is going to be a fascinating matchup. You've got, you know, that month, some say Texas is going to be hurt by that month off because they were rolling. You know, they had the momentum, they were clicking. Quinn Ewers was locked in, just had his best passing game against Oklahoma state, 452 yards. And, and now the month, do they get out of rhythm? I mean, who knows? This is, this, yeah. this is the national championship playoff. So you would expect these players to be locked in and, and ready to go. Washington was rolling too. And, you know, so you can make the same argument for the Huskies. They were, they obviously were having a lot of momentum on, on their back end as well. You, you mentioned the defense coming out in a month, but what about just keeping the offense off the field? Now, obviously, it's going to be pretty hard to do. Jonathan Brooks, he's out, like you mentioned earlier. But mentioned just like that kind of game plan and that potential for, you know, a scheme that they can have coming up against Washington, just trying to, you know, turn it into like a gridiron battle and just keeping Washington off the field by just trying to run the ball and get the clock down as much as they can, you know, score or uh, score early, excuse me, and then just try to keep the Huskies off the field. Yeah, and they've, They've done a good job of that at times this year. Now they did not do a good job of that in this Alamo bowl game a year ago. Um, Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson, their two star running backs had opted out to get ready for the NFL draft and Jonathan Brooks. We didn't know it at the time, but he was due to have hernia surgery right after the season, which he did. He still played in that game. He actually scored two touchdowns, but, um, they didn't really try to establish the run. And so this is what's going to be fascinating because obviously Jonathan Brooks, a thousand yard rusher this year, uh, still, I mean, he's the top running back on a lot of people's draft boards uh, for 2024. And Texas will not have him for this playoff game against Washington, but CJ Baxter and Jaden Blue have really stepped up in Brooks' absence. Texas has to establish the run in this game. Uh, they have to be balanced. They need to be able to, like you said, grind the clock, 
go on long drives, possess the ball, keep Penix, Adunze, Polk, McMillan off the field. And so that's what I'm really interested to see because Washington's defense has been very streaky. Mm -hmm. Um, They can rise up and really impress you and they can look a little um, off at times. So I think special teams wise, these teams are pretty similar, especially if Roma Dunze is uh, returning punts, which he's only done twice all year, but he returned one for a touchdown. So I would expect uh, we would see Roma Dunze back there uh, returning punts. Let's let's move forward and say they get past Washington. And then, uh, you know, who would let Texas rather see in the play uh, in the championship game? Would it be Michigan or Alabama? I can imagine Alabama, might be hard to beat Alabama twice, but then again, Michigan obviously, of course, is a juggernaut, juggernaut themselves. So, is there any team in particular Longhorns would rather face in the in the finals if you know, given they do get get past Washington? Well, I know Michigan's the number one team, but they like to run the ball, and Texas mm-hmm. just kills teams running running games. Um, Jalen Milrow, I mean, JJ McCarthy and uh, Jalen Milrow can both run. Um, when plays break down, they're dangerous. That's that's always a problem for a defense. But uh, I think, believe it or not, I think the Michigan matchup is better for Texas because mm-hmm. they want to run the ball so much, and Texas just hasn't let teams do it. Yeah, I mean, you can argue Alabama's not a four seed anymore. I mean, they, they started out the season very weak, and that's pretty much the only reason that they find themselves the very – tippy you know tippy edge of the playoff because it was their beginning of the season but they you know they're they're definitely a different team than they were start of the season how big is this you know given that texas is going to the big 10 how you know how big is this playoff run coming up just to show that they belong in the big 10 that they're a team to be forced you know a team to be reckoned with in the big 10 when they get there well and they're going to the sec but it's thank you that's what i meant yeah thank you yeah i mean (laughs) look this momentum is critical i said going into the year this is the most important year of texas football in the last 25 years because they need to for their own self-esteem establish themselves as a team that can compete in the sec and by winning the big 12 by getting into the college football playoff having a chance to play for a national championship they are establishing themselves as a team that can go into the SEC and compete. Now, you got to maintain it. You've got to recruit. You can't live off what you've done in the past. But I think Texas has shown that they are SEC ready with what they've been able to accomplish this season. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's going to be just a two-conference uh, potentially two conferences coming up in five years here. It might only be the Big Ten and the SEC. What are your overall thoughts on the Big 12 potentially kind of becoming one of those conferences that gets forgotten, you know, going down, you know, five, six, seven years from now? Well, I've been saying for the last 15 years that the Power Five needed to collectively bargain and, you know, combine forces like the NFL. Um you know, the fact that each conference negotiates a TV deal, that's like the AFC West negotiating a TV deal. And then the, you know, the NFC East negotiating a deal, you're, you're, you're bidding against each other, you're bidding against your own, um, you know, your, your own sports television media deal, 
for college football and the TV um, networks have dictated the terms to college football. I think that's embarrassing and ridiculous, but that's what you get when each conference takes its turn negotiating a TV deal. And so um, I, I think that window has closed. Obviously Uh, we've lost the PAC 12. Uh, The big 12 has a a TV deal in place for, you know, the next seven years. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when we're going to have to take a look at the landscape and see um, are the networks just saving up all their money to bid on the big 10 in the sec and there's nothing left over. Um, Will the, will it, will we be in a, the strongest will survive mode at that point? And is it 30 teams? Is it 32 like the NFL? Is it more than that? Mm -hmm. But that's where we're headed. We're headed, we're headed toward a a consolidation of the strongest, most attractive programs to television will survive. Yeah, it's, you know, you hear the joke time and time again, it's going to be like the NFL, they're going to have the AFC and the NFC, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, yeah. might, might, very well might happen. You have to be as a as a Texas fan and someone that covers the Longhorns, you have to be thrilled about the 12, the 12 team football pool, though, you know, given that Texas is one of those, you know, top 12 teams many times, uh, you know, outside looking into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I think the big the, uh, the 12 team playoff and I'm sure Florida state's kind of kicking itself. Um, Mm -hmm. The ACC member was one of the, you know, one of the conferences that um, agreed to slow things down. Once they heard that Texas and Oklahoma were headed to the SEC, we could have had a 12 team playoff this year, um, but it didn't happen. But I think having a 12 team playoff starting next year, you can get in with two losses. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're, you know, if you're playing well and you're in the SEC or the Big Ten and you're a two-loss team, you still have a chance to get in and then um, see what you can do at that point. It, it would have been a really uh, interesting playoff this year with 12 teams for sure because just go back to a year ago, they didn't have enough teams to fill the four-team playoff. TCU lost in the Big 12 title game and still got into the playoff. Um, that's, that's like confounding to think about now because you had undefeated teams an undefeated Florida state team being left out. So, um, the 12 team playoff will do a much better job of making sure that the best teams are in. Yeah, no, I know. I've been hearing parody. I know a lot of people say I've, I've been hearing it both ways. People like it like myself, like everyone else on the show, we have the two other guys on the show as well. Also like the expansion of the 12 team playoff, but then I hear other people that don't like it because it takes away the importance of wins and losses. And so I just, and I get that side of it, but uh, you know, you look at this year, like you just said, and it would have been a perfect year for the, uh, a 12 team playoff pool. And it, it seems like it's just coming a year too late. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's uh college football's always had crazy controversy around its national champions member they used to vote yep you know there used to be an ap national champion and a upi national champion and it was the you know the the ap poll the coaches poll then we had the bcs with the guys you know with the computers in their mom's basement determining yep. who was going to get into the national championship game so this is nothing new to college football there's always been controversy there's always been 
um, sort of a weird way of crowning the champion, but um, yeah, the 12 team playoff and the TV revenue, the excitement around it, I think uh, will only increase. Yeah. Well, when I, my last question for you, Chip, this has been really fun. I, I appreciate your time. I, I loved talking with you. What, um, why do you think they only did four teams when they first started? Why not do six, seven, you know, at least go halfway through halfway down the middle, you know, maybe at least expand it to four teams. Cause they had the new, they had to have known when they first uh, out, you know, in 2014, when they first outlaid this playoff structure that, this was going to happen. They were going to be moments where they had to really shoot themselves in the foot and leave out really good teams that probably should be in it. And I'm just curious to get your thoughts on why do you think they only made it four teams when they first uh, made the playoff structure? I think there was an old guard that respected the bowls so much. Mm -hmm. um, the bowl games, which is kind of another silly antiquated yep. way of doing things, but these bowl games are huge in their communities and they raise money and they try to, make it attractive for teams. And then they negotiated TV deal and the schools get payouts and that's the way it was. And I think the old guard of college football was concerned. They were going to diminish the regular season and diminish the bowl games. And now we're seeing, well, you can incorporate the bowl games into exactly. the playoff. Mm -hmm. And, and I think um, it's going to, you know, you're going to have some home home field uh, games early in the playoff and then you'll graduate to the bowl game so now we're seeing with a little bit of vision that you can um, kind of keep some of the lasting um, important traditional uh, mm -hmm. bowl games for college football but let's be honest a lot of these bowl games names are changing every year yep. it's it's we're, we're headed in the right direction it, it took the old guard a little too long to get there yeah, no, unless you're one of the top bowl games, like a New Year's Six Bowl or, or of course, the playoffs, uh, you know, it's their bowl games are definitely losing the spark they used to have and definitely losing the notoriety they used to have for sure. Well, Chip, this has been really fun. I, I appreciate your time. Have to talk again, stay in touch, and maybe have you on again in the future, especially if, you know, maybe Texas makes the playoffs or te uh, makes the championship. Maybe we'll have to have you on again, get your thoughts, talk, talk a little bit more. Well, I appreciate it so much, and uh, happy holidays to everybody. All right, Chip, you take care. We'll be in touch. Okay, thanks. Okay, let's finish up with our off the map and long hauls of the week. Justin, start us off. What is your off the map of the week? My off the map of the week is the Dodgers. Not just getting Shohei Otani, but getting Tyler Glasnow from the Tampa Bay Rays. That's going to be a very underrated move by the Dodgers and for the Rays. They've kind of been, you know trading a lot of a lot of their pitchers that they that they've just called up from the minors not that glass now was just called up but for the trade here this is another big move by the Dodgers to try and solidify themselves a World Series title not just with Shohei Otani uh in at the plate or on the mound probably won't pitch this year but um but Glass now is a good move for the Dodgers, and the Rays continue to get big prospects as well, while the Rays pretty much depend on their minor league system probably more than any other team in Major League Baseball. Okay, my off-the-map of the week, Utah men's, women's basketball team, and the gymnastics team all getting leases 
on a 2024 Jeep Grand Cherokee or a 2024 Ram 1500 Bighorn. This is going to be the largest team-wide NIL agreement in collegiate women's sports history. Utah women's basketball team currently ranked number 11. Gymnastics finished the season number five in the country and the men's basketball team is seven and two after handling number nine, uh, number 13th, excuse me, BYU, their first loss of the season. Of course, this is coming two months after Utah's Crimson Collective surprised all 85 football players with custom picks up pickup trucks. And now they're expanding to the men's basketball team, women's basketball team, and the women's gymnastics team. And like I said, largest team-wide NIL agreement in collegiate women's sports history for, the, for that basketball team and gymnastics team. Of course, my question is, how many other teams in Utah or even in college in general are going to go down this path? How many cards can this college afford to give their students? That's what I want to know, but it's still amazing. All these kids getting uh, brand new 2024 cars, leases on them, and even the walk-ons for these teams, even the walk-ons for these basketball teams, the, the gymnastics team, all getting cars, amazing stuff, following in the footsteps of the football team two months ago. Got to love it. Have to, have to see it. And uh, yeah, I want to see what other colleges uh, are going to follow the lead for Utah and what other teams at Utah might even follow this lead and get cars for their athletes as well. Zach, what is your long haul of the week? Uh, the Detroit Pistons, they've lost 21 in a row. They haven't won a game since October 28th. This is the worst team in basketball right now, and there was a lot of optimism with Monty Williams taking over as a head coach. Kate Cunningham's been pretty good so far, and the rest of the lineup just has not clicked. This team can't stop a nosebleed. Their offense is very inconsistent, and they're only five games away now from the all-time record that the Cavs set the year after LeBron left the first time, and they lost 26 straight games. So the Pistons are in a very bad company, and knowing the history of the Pistons, they'll probably end up with the fourth or fifth pick in the draft instead of the number one pick in the draft. So things uh, things are not going so well up in the Motor City right now. My long haul of the week is Darius Slay, or no play Slay, or big play Slay, or whatever this guy wants to be called. Not just that, he blames the team instead of himself. When guys do that, that means the locker room is being lost, and that could potentially be a problem for the Eagles when you're blaming the team and not your own self. I know we didn't allow a catch, but he had a couple of defensive pass interference calls on Sunday night. For Slay, he's got to shut up and just play. He's got to shut up and just play better. Just play better and basically be a leader. You wear the C on the Eagles and you gotta you gotta be you gotta play you gotta be a better leader. Yep. I'm gonna just go in general the Kansas City Chiefs um struggles they've had le- recently. We we doubted Kansas City last year too. Uh a lot of the people doubted Kansas City last year and we saw how they ended up. Uh if if the Chiefs can sustain a win and you know, if they win the AFC West, they will wreak havoc in the playoffs, just like they've done his, just like Mahomes has done his entire career. I know, of course, he will be facing his uh, first away games in the playoffs, but Chiefs have been here before. They've had struggles in the past. They had struggles even last year, and they ended up winning the Super Bowl last year. So I'm not down the Chiefs. I know they have, they've had recent struggles so far. Uh, they've had recent struggles recently, excuse me, and their offense has been a little shaky, especially with their receivers, but they will bounce back. And uh, it's just a short-term thing. And I think once the playoffs hit, 
wants to make the playoffs and they get rolling, I do think they're going to become a different team like they've shown in the past. So that's my long haul of the week. Uh, the Chiefs' recent struggles, they will be back. Zach, finish us off. What is your long haul of the week? Uh, my long haul of the week, I think the Super Bowl champion is going to come out of the NFC. I think the AFC has the deeper conference. They've got the better teams. But I think the top teams in football, the 49ers, the Cowboys, maybe you can still throw the Eagles in there. I think right now the top two teams in the league are the 49ers and the Cowboys. And I think one of those two is probably going to win the Super Bowl. I mean, I look at Baltimore right now as the best team in the AFC. I trust the Ravens. I still trust Kansas City that they're going to turn things around. I don't trust the Dolphins, even though they're at 9-4. and four. I don't know if the Bills can climb all the way back. So I think the NFC right now has a better chance of having the Super Bowl champion than the AFC does, even though the AFC is the better conference. Yeah, NFC just seems more um, lopsided to me. Uh, AFC seems a lot more, besides maybe, like I said, like you said, Deck, maybe the Ravens. But even the Ravens have some holes too, and I just think it's – uh, I, I actually only consider the Cowboys in this point and the 49ers. Uh, Eagles are going to still be there yeah. too, especially if they can show us uh, some things in the next four games. But it just seems very lopsided, the NFC, which is weird because it's usually been the AFC like that when you consider the yeah. Bills, the Bengals, the Chiefs. And now it seems like the AFC is kind of eating themselves up and they're they're a little bit more you know on par with each other. And the NFC has become lopsided. So I agree. Most likely will become out of the NFC, the Super Bowl champ this year. But Time will tell, of course. Good show, guys. Do it all again Tuesday. We'll be back Tuesday. Um, great show as always. Break down NFL Week 15. Break down anything else that happens in that time as well. But until then, we'll see you next week and keep on traveling.